Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Greetings, and welcome to the VF Corporation fourth quarter fiscal 2019 conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is on my pleasure to introduce your host, Joe Alkiri, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning and welcome to VF Corporation's fourth quarter fiscal 2019 earnings call. Participants on today's call will make forward looking statements. These statements are based on current expectations and are subject to uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. These uncertainties are detailed in documents filed regularly with the SEC. Unless otherwise noted, amounts referred to on today's call will be on an adjusted, constant dollar basis, excluding contour brands, which we define in the press release that was issued this morning. In the context of VF's review of its fiscal 2019 results, excluding contour brands' amounts exclude the results of VF's jeans reportable segment, Wrangler Riggs brand, and VF outlet. Business. The results are not indicative of the results of Contour Brands as a standalone entity and are not representative of VF's discontinued operations view of consolidated results after the separation of Contour Brands is complete. In addition, the release provides adjusted fiscal 2020 outlook information <coughs> reflecting management's best estimates of the impact. The separation of Contour Brands may have on VF's fiscal 2019 financial information and fiscal 2020 outlook on a discontinued operations basis, along with other adjustments. VF's analysis of the separation of Contour Brands has not been completed and is subject to change. We use adjusted constant dollar amounts excluding Contour Brands as lead numbers in our discussion because we believe they more accurately represent. The true operational performance and underlying results of our business post the separation of Contour Brands. You may also hear us refer to reported amounts, which are in accordance with U.S. GAAP. Reconciliations of GAAP measures to adjusted amounts can be found in the supplemental financial tables included in the press release, which identify and quantify all excluded items and provide management's view of why this information is useful to investors. In connection with the distribution date of May 22, 2019, VF will file its current report on Form 8K no later than May 29, 2019, which will include supplemental financial information on VF, illustrating contour brands on a discontinued operations basis under U.S. GAAP for certain historical periods. During the first quarter of fiscal 2019, the company completed the sale of its Nautica brand business. 
During the first quarter of fiscal 2018, the company completed the sale of its licensed sports group, or LSG, business. In conjunction with the LSG divestiture, VF executed its plan to exit the licensing business and completed the sale of the assets of the Jansport brand collegiate business in the fourth quarter of 2017. Accordingly, the company has included the operating results of these businesses in discontinued operations through their respective dates of sale. Unless otherwise noted, results presented on today's call are based on continuing operations. Joining me on today's call will be VF's Chairman, President, and Chief Executive Officer Steve Rendell and Chief Financial Officer Scott Rowe. Following our prepared remarks, we'll open the call for questions. Steve? Thank you, Joe, and good morning, everyone. Fiscal 2019 represented one of the most transformative periods in VF's 120-year history, culminating with the tax-free spinoff of Contour Brands. The actions we took last year are just further milestones along the path we laid out in Boston two years ago. Since that time, we've boldly reshaped our portfolio, placed significant investments in key capabilities, accelerated growth in our largest brands, delivered sound fundamentals with gross margin expansion and SG&A leverage, and returned $3 billion to shareholders, and all through a purpose-driven lens. It's been a busy two years. We made significant strides this year, and we're steadfast to deliver on our commitment to be a purpose-led, performance-driven, and value-creating enterprise. And even as our teams have managed an intense workload and a tremendous amount of change, I'm proud to report that we delivered strong financial results and another year of top quartile returns to shareholders. Excluding contour brands, Highlights from our fiscal 2019 results include revenue growth of 18% or 11% on an organic basis, growth driven by our two largest brands, Vans and the North Face, which grew 26% and 10% respectively, and on an organic basis, international increased 10%, led by 25% growth in China and 8% growth in EMEA. Direct-to-consumer increased 13% with 26% growth in digital, and our work business increased 5% with balanced, broad-based growth. Our fundamentals remain strong, as gross margin, a key driver of our value creation model, expanded 90 basis points organically, providing us the fuel to continue to invest in the capabilities required to sustain our growth momentum. Including Contour Brands, EPS increased 22% to $3.78, including $65 million of incremental investment to drive our strategy and accelerate growth. And notably, EPS growth excluding Contour Brands was even stronger. And finally, VF delivered yet another year of top quartile returns to shareholders with 20% TSR in fiscal 2019. Since launching our 2021 strategy in Boston just over two years ago, VF has delivered an annualized TSR of 29% over this period, with a strong balance of both earnings growth and cash returns. Let me take a moment to address current market conditions as the geopolitical environment has become more uncertain in recent weeks. While current events have the potential to disrupt our business and our consumers around the globe, to date, the impact to our business has been minimal. While we're more closely monitoring conditions in certain markets, such as China and the UK, for our businesses, the overall consumer backdrop remains quite solid. As it relates to trade, the impact of tariffs to date has been de minimis. We continue to monitor this situation closely and are developing contingency plans for potential outcomes. For context, post our spinoff of Contour Brands, our total cost of goods sold, sourced directly from China to the U.S., is 7%, and we will continue to implement mitigating actions to dampen the financial impact of incremental tariffs. At the beginning of fiscal 2019, I shared three key areas where we would focus our attention and investments throughout the year to enable our strategy and fuel growth. I'm pleased to report that we made substantial progress on each of these areas. First, we committed to reshaping and optimizing our portfolio while protecting and enabling the explosive growth in vans, shepherding the positive momentum of the North Face, and focusing on re-energizing growth in Timberland, North America. As a result, in August, we announced the separation of our jeans business, which will become an independent, publicly traded company beginning tomorrow morning. In addition to the spin, we took other notable actions, actions to optimize our brand portfolio. We continued integrating Williamson Dickey into VF, as well as the Icebreaker and Ultra brands, and we completed the sale of the Nautica, Reef, and Vanmore businesses. 
we enabled the explosive growth advance with revenue growth with revenue growing 26% for the year on top of 27% in fiscal 2018, adding $1.4 billion of incremental growth over the two-year period. Vans is tracking well ahead of the $5 billion target we laid out last September. The North Face brand made significant progress in reclaiming its rightful leadership position as one of the world's largest, most influential outdoor brands and delivered 10% growth with strength across regions and channels, most importantly, with high single-digit growth in North America. And importantly, the Timberland brand in North America increased 5%, driven by double-digit growth from non-classics footwear, mid-single-digit growth in apparel, and stabilization in our classics footwear business, demonstrating the diversification strategy is working. Second, we committed to continue our consumer-centric transformation work and to distort resources against our D2C platform and our digital transformation. As a result, on an organic basis, D2C grew by 13%, including 13% comps. Digital increased 26%, with 50% growth from Vans and more than 20% growth from both the North Face and Timberland. And we directed a majority of the 65 million incremental investment at capabilities that enable our consumer-centric strategy. And finally, we committed to increase our metabolic rate with a goal of operating with greater speed and agility we continue to drive a culture of lean operational excellence to unlock investment capacity and fund our strategic growth initiatives. Our management team has remained sharply focused on delivering business results while also leading our company through a purpose-led transformation journey. The dedication and perseverance that our associates have brought to that task are, in a word, remarkable. Equally important as the business results we achieved is how we did it. VF Associates around the world continued to lead by example and demonstrate our relentless focus on operating with the highest ethical standards. During the quarter, we received third-party recognitions, including one of the world's most ethical companies, recognized by Ethisphere Institute due to our continued commitment to leading the industry through ethical business standards and practices. We were also recognized by Fortune Magazine as one of the world's most admired companies for the 24th consecutive year. As we enter fiscal 2020, our priorities remain consistent as we continue to advance our most promising areas of opportunity. Our top priorities for the coming year include maximizing value creation and further optimizing our portfolio, continuing to accelerate our consumer-centric transformation and growth work with a particular focus on collaboration between our businesses' product merchandising, design and development teams, and the supply chain while increasing speed to market. And finally, creating and enabling a purpose-led performance culture across VF through the activation of our employee value proposition and by defining clear cultural behaviors that are required to deliver on our purpose and business strategy. At the end of April, our board of directors approved the separation of VF's Jeanswear organization or Contour Brands. Tomorrow, we expect Contour Brands will begin trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol KTB following distribution after the market closes today. I would like to thank everyone in our jeans business for their service to VF and wish them well as they embark on their new journey as Contour Brands. The histories of VF Corporation and Contour Brands are woven together in the rich denim history of North Carolina. We are grateful for our time together and confident that Contour has a bright future ahead as an independent company. Now as we continue our journey as a more agile and focused VF, I could not be more proud of all that we've accomplished over the past year and I'm very excited about what's to come with our next chapter. Fiscal 2020 will undoubtedly be another solid year for our enterprise and one that sets a strong and positive tone for the years ahead. And with that, I'll turn it over to Scott. Thanks, Steve, and good morning, everyone. Before diving into our 2019 financial results and 2020 outlook, I'd like to take a moment and reflect on a few of the major milestones we achieved over the past year. First, we've made significant progress integrating Williamson Dickey our largest acquisition since Timberland. We are ahead of our acquisition plan from a growth, profit, and return on capital perspective, and even more excited about the growth opportunities that lie ahead for what is now our fourth largest brand post the contour spend. Second, we changed our fiscal year end and realigned our reportable segments to enhance visibility, reduce volatility, and provide greater transparency into the growth and profitability drivers of our portfolio. Third, 
We redesigned and simplified our organization and the North American footprint with a goal of operating with greater agility and speed, accelerating innovation, and unlocking greater collaboration across brands and functions. And finally, we continue to reshape our portfolio. Over the past 18 months, we have acquired Icebreaker and Ultra, divested Nautica Reef and Van Moore, and have effectively completed the spin of Contour Brands estimated to take place tomorrow. Fiscal 2019 was indeed one of the most transformational years in VF's history. In fact, since the launch of our 2021 plan two years ago, we bought and sold 10 businesses with combined annual revenue of more than $5 billion. I'm incredibly proud of our team and the progress we've made reshaping our portfolio. And underneath all these exciting changes, our management team remains sharply focused on delivering strong results and value creation through a purpose lens. It's not only about making profits, it's how we make them that matters. Our growth has accelerated and the fundamentals of our business are strong. I'm very pleased with the quality and diversity of our growth and momentum we carry into fiscal 2020. The investments we continue to make and the capabilities needed to sustain our growth are transitioning into strong, tangible results, and we're executing exceptionally well and tracking ahead of our 2021 commitments. Altogether, VF Post Contour is a stronger version of itself, more focused and better positioned to build on our long track record of delivering top quartile returns to our shareholders. Turning to our fourth quarter and full year fiscal 2019 results, Remember that our reported numbers for fiscal 2019 include contour brands. However, I'll focus the majority of my commentary today on the performance of the RemainCo portfolio. So let's begin with the fourth quarter. Revenue increased 12% on an organic basis as our core growth engines continue to perform well. Our big three brands grew 13%, led by 18% growth at Vans and 11% growth at the North Face. Direct-to-consumer increased 10% and digital remained strong with more than 20% growth. By geography, international increased 12%, led by 25% growth in China. Our Europe business increased 10% despite a somewhat more challenging backdrop across the region. This reflects the diversity of growth by brand, geography, and channel. And our America's non-U.S. business also increased more than 20%. Work grew 6% with broad-based growth across the portfolio, including strong performance from our two largest brands, Dickies and Timberland Pro. Total VF gross margin expanded 30 basis points to 51.1%. Mix in the quarter was negative 20 basis points, due mainly to timing of distressed sales. However, our mix benefit in the second half of 2019 was in line with our full-year benefit of 60 basis points. Excluding contour brands, gross margin increased 90 basis points on an organic basis as gross margin expansion continues to be a significant value driver for us, providing the flexibility and opportunity to accelerate investment and the capabilities needed to sustain long-term growth. Operating profit was about flat, including approximately $65 million of incremental investments. Second half operating profit increased nearly 30% and operating margin increased almost 200 basis points driven by both gross margin expansion and SG&A leverage. And that's our model, gross margin expansion, funding investments and capabilities to drive growth resulting in operating margin expansion. Moving now to a full year fiscal 2019. Revenue increased 11% on an organic basis with double-digit growth in both the U.S. and internationally, and across both our D2C and wholesale channels. Our digital wholesale business, a key growth driver and strategic focus for our long-term strategy, increased at a mid-teen rate. Our big three brands grew at a combined rate of 14%, led by 26% growth at Vans and 10% growth at the North Face. D2C increased 13%, including a 13% total comp and a 9% comp in our brick-and-mortar stores. Digital increased 26%, slightly above our long-term target, a reflection of our strategic focus and investment against our vision to become a more digitally-enabled enterprise. By geography, international increased 10%, led by 25% growth in China. Our Europe business increased 8% with broad-based growth across brands, geographies, and channels, 
and our America's non-U.S. region increased 16%. The performance of our work portfolio was solid with 5% growth, including diversified growth across all brands in the portfolio as sector fundamentals remain resilient. Gross margin expanded by 40 BIPs, excluding contour brands, or 90 basis points on an organic basis. Operating margin, uh, operating profit increased more than 30%, and our operating margin expanded by 160 basis points to 13.7%. In addition to our gross margin expansion, strong top-line dr growth drove significant leverage of SG&A despite investments in support of our long-term strategy. Including contour brands, EPS for fiscal 2019 was $3.78, reflecting 18% growth on an organic basis and including $65 million of incremental investments, or $0.13 cents per share. EPS for fiscal 2019 also includes a 9% decline in the operating profit of contour brands. So turning to the balance sheet, inventory remains tightly controlled, increasing just 4% over the prior year. We generated adjusted cash flow from ops of nearly $1.8 billion in line with expectations and our return on capital was over 22%. We ended fiscal 2019 with a leverage ratio of about two times, so our balance sheet leverage is essentially returned to pre-acquisition levels. We also returned approximately $900 million to shareholders through share repos and dividends. Our diversified business model is delivering exceptional results, and as we enter 2020, with strong momentum across multiple brands, geographies, and channels. And with a more focused portfolio, we are confident in our ability to deliver yet another year of top quartile value creation. Let's now turn to fiscal 2020 outlook. As a reminder, our outlook excludes contour brands and includes the following. We expect revenue to be in the range of $11.7 to $11.8 billion, representing 5 to 6% growth compared to the prior year and approximately 7 to 8% growth on an organic, constant dollar basis. From a shaping standpoint, FX and the divestitures of Reef and Van Moore will have a bigger impact on both revenue and earnings growth in our first half. As previewed on our last call, on a constant dollar basis, we expect vans to grow at a low double-digit rate, surpassing $4 billion in 2020 and tracking well ahead of its plan to reach $5 billion by 2023. Note that our outlook for vans includes the negative impact from business model changes in South America. We expect momentum in the North Face to continue into 2020 and still anticipate high single-digit growth with balanced growth in both the first and second halves. We expect low single-digit growth from Timberland, including the negative impact from business model changes in South America, and mid-single-digit growth from Dickies in 2020. We expect high single-digit growth from our international business, highlighted by mid-teen growth in Asia and 5 to 7% growth in Europe. We anticipate high single-digit growth from our non-U.S. America's business, adjusted for the impact of planned business model changes in South America. As previously announced, we're in the process of converting our direct business in the region to a license or distributor model. While these markets continue to represent growth opportunities for our brands over the long term, we're narrowing the focus of our management teams and, given the volatility in the region, taking the opportunity to simplify and de-risk our operating model in CASA. Moving on to our channel outlook. We expect low double-digit growth in D2C, led by approximately 25% growth in digital and mid-single-digit growth in wholesale. Gross margin is expected to reach about 54%, representing 60 basis points of expansion, driven primarily by our ongoing mix shift towards higher margin businesses. We anticipate operating margin expansion of roughly 60 basis points to 13.7%, despite incremental growth investments, as well as dissynergies from the contour separation. EPS is expected to be $3.30 to $3.35, representing 15 to 17% growth compared to the prior year, or approximately 17 to 19% on an organic constant dollar basis. Our 2020 outlook assumes share repos offset dilution. Now to anticipate a question likely on your mind regarding the $1 billion cash proceeds from contour brands, we intend to pay off our short-term borrowings, which are about $650 million at the end of fiscal 2019, 
And while we will be opportunistic with respect to repos, M&A remains our top capital allocation priority. With our leverage ratio back at two times and the cash from Contour Brands, we have significant capacity for M&A, which gives us the opportunity to drive incremental value creation in addition to the strength of our organic plan. Cash flow from operations is expected to be at least $1.3 billion on an adjusted basis. Our cash flow outlook for 2020 excludes Contour Brands, as well as the impact of timing-related items in connection with our fiscal year-end change. On a normalized basis, cash flow from ops is expected to grow roughly in line with earnings. CapEx is expected to be just under $400 million for 2020, driven primarily by infrastructure investments as a result of our growth. We expect our CapEx on a normal run rate basis going forward to be about $250 million. So, in summary, our business performance is strong. And the execution of this world-class management team has been nothing short of amazing. Our portfolio is much better positioned as we head into next year. Our investments are creating strong demand across the globe. And while we are pleased with our progress to date, the most exciting part of our story is we're just getting started. With the spinoff of Contour expected to be completed today, we're looking forward to the next chapter of value creation for VF. I'll now turn it back to the operator, and we'll open the call for your questions. Thank you. We'll now be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to be placed in the question queue, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you'd like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing star 1. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. <coughs> Our first question today is coming from Erin Murphy from Piper Jaffray. Your line is now live. Great. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I guess my first question is on VANS. You guys talk about it tracking nicely ahead of the $5 billion long-term target. We drilled down into the quarter. The dollar growth was lighter than we've seen in the last six quarters. Can you just speak to um, kind of what some of the drivers were. It does seem Asia was a little bit slower. And then just thinking ahead to 2020, um, what is the dollar impact in the South American business model changes to bands? Yeah, so Aaron, uh, good morning. This is Scott. Um, so um, first of all, on vans, you know, I guess the big picture is, remember, we're talking a, a soft, soft landing and, and you're seeing that uh, modest deceleration, that's really the big picture, and we don't see anything fundamentally different in that overall trajectory. So that's that's number one. And, you know, while while the business is moderating off those growth rates, we still see a very strong business uh, as we leave uh, uh, Q4, and the signs are, are positive as it relates to vans, whether that's channel checks, the, you know, social media, all those factors remain high. There's some there is some wholesale timing. I think you called out Asia. If you look, you might recall the third quarter was exceptionally strong. You've got some noise quarter to quarter, but there's nothing fundamentally that we see here that changes anything we feel about the trajectory or timing of the business. Um, Steve, I don't know if you want to add anything from a from a van standpoint. No, no, I think that you think you hit it. And then, and then as it relates to Casa. You know, we uh, you asked about the impact. It's about a point worth of growth um, for the Vans business, and and just to give some shape on that, you know, the the business X contour is uh, less than 150 million dollars in total. But as, obviously, as you change from a direct model in a few of these countries to either a distributor or a licensee, uh, then that has a top line impact. Although from a bottom line standpoint. We think this will be modestly um, actually positive um, over time. Got it. That's helpful. And then I guess my second question is just on the ongoing investment this quarter, I think it was another $20 million of incremental can you, uh, investment. Can you just unpack what some of those biggest buckets have been? And then, Scott, as you talked about the shaping for 2020 and kind of the components of the guide, you did talk about your planning you know, for ongoing investment. How should we think about 2020's uh, level of investment? Thank you so much. Yeah, Aaron. So a, a couple of things uh, that are, I think, behind your question. So first of all, if you look at our implied guidance, it says modest, um, modest SG&A leverage, and and uh, um, so I think that's part of your question. So let me let me answer that more broadly. You know, as we think about um, 
our long-term algorithm, it is absolutely uh, still in place. You know, we've talked about high single-digit, top-line growth, um, gross margin expansion, both through mix and, and uh, you know, also some of the, frankly, some of the moves we've made from a portfolio standpoint. Uh, all those things, and innovation, and all the other things we talk about, pricing power, all those driving gross margin and operating margin expansion. As it relates to, you know, our investments, we've, we've said consistently that we're going to continue to opportunistically uh, invest around those key capabilities and um, uh, strategic priorities that we think are giving us uh, a, a separation from our competitive set and, and really driving some of the growth of our brands. And I would point backwards and, and say, you know, one of the reasons we think we're ahead of our long-range plan is because of some of those capabilities that we've been investing in. Some areas, I mean, we've talked about them, you know, D2C, digital in, in particular, which, by the way, drives both growth margin and also has an SG&A uh, component that comes with it, insights, analytics, advanced manufacturing, demand creation. You know, it's the same things that we've been talking about, Aaron. Now, you know, as it, the other thing I would just point out is, listen, this is the first guidance for uh, the year. Um, as you can imagine, we're giving you guidance that we have strong confidence in. Um, as we see opportunities um, from margin expansion, uh, we're going to make sure we're delivering our commitments to the street. Don't forget, our earnings are up 17 to 19 percent. I'll say that again: 17 to 19 percent uh, earnings growth. Um, but we we believe the investments back into our business are one of the reasons why we're seeing the success that we are. And and that is an area once we've fulfilled our commitment to the street that we're going to continue to make those investments. Great, thank you guys, and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Bob Durbel from Guggenheim Securities. Your line is now live. Hi. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, I guess the the first question that I have um, is is really one: Are you done with the portfolio now? Are we going to take a breath from all the model changes and everything? Because it's a little complicated. <laughs> is it, when you think about where you are right now, but I'm serious. Are you know is are you guys going to take a, br a break from the portfolio changes? Do you think you're where you want to be to try to, like, go through this next chapter? Yeah, Bob, this is Steve. Um, we apologize for the for the, for the <laughs> tremendous number of uh, changes you all have had to negotiate. But uh, let me leave you with this. Um, you know, we've been very purposeful over the last 24 months to reshape our portfolio to align with our long-term growth aspirations. And I think you, what you see today is who we intend to be. Now, M&A remains the number one, you know, capital allocation priority that we have. You know, we have the means to do that. We will be very rigorous, very thoughtful, and disciplined. Um, but I would tell you, our people would love it um, as much as you would if we would just let the dust settle, um, get through our move, um, execute for a few quarters. Um, but we will be very mindful um, as we continue to look at, uh, at the M&A opportunities around us. Got it. Okay, and then I guess the other question I have is: is when you take a step back over the last few months, just at retail, you know, including some of the you know, reports, you know, recently from your wholesale customers, the environment has definitely you know gotten a little bit tougher, and you know, you guys are outperforming. But can you just talk about how the order books, you know, for your businesses have materialized on a wholesale basis, and you know, have they strengthened going into fall, or have there been any pullbacks most recently? just by, you know, what we've seen for the spring so far. Yeah, yeah, Bob, uh, Scott here. You know, the, I guess the, the big picture is we've seen, we see strong order books, and, and at least in our brands and our key partners, the, the general sentiment is, has been positive. Now, part of that, too, is uh, inventories at retail are pretty, pretty good shape. I mean, not universally. There's always exceptions out there, but... As a, as a general rule, it's been a good year. We've, sell through has been pretty good, at least in the, where we play, and uh, we're in pretty good shape. So we, we see confidence. I wouldn't say a big change, frankly. Better or worse, we see continuation of the, of the support uh, that we've seen coming out of the second half. And, Bob, I would add, you know, the, the result of the portfolio moves that we've made over the last 24 months, we have, we have navigated our way. Um, away from you know that that middle portion of the marketplace and and where we have wholesale um, penetration is in the better parts of the market 
And I would also say that, you know, the focused efforts that we have to be more retail-minded are, are putting us in a better position to be a better wholesale provider of quality products supported by really quality stories um, that we're able to drive, you know, collaboratively with our key account partners uh, to get that consumer traffic and, and, uh, and strong sell-through. Got it. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Good luck with everything. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. <clears throat> Thank you. Our next question is coming from Michael Benetti from Credit Suisse. Your line is now live. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for all the help here, and thanks for taking our question. I guess, Scott, my, my first modeling question, just to get it out of the way, is when you get back to your desk, could you update that model and, and reply and send it back to us? That would help. <laughs> um, uh, the, you know, you've added, I think you added about $75 million of disenergies. To, yeah. to the baseline, right? So, but I think a lot of that is related to stranded costs you've you've incurred related to some of the, you know, myriad brand dispositions that have gone on over 18 months. As you've looked around and taken at the taken a look at the costs that you're stuck with, um, with those revenues going away, you know, how did you think about, you know, whether you can start to work away at some of that, whether that's in the guidance for the year, um, as you as you as you start with the, the 330 to 335 guidance for us this year. Sure. Yeah, so first of all, um, you know, I'll, I'll just give you kudos for uh, for teasing all this out. Joe, Joe sent a decoder ring. I don't know if it's been received yet, but that'll uh, help you get through that. So so I think what you're doing, just, just for the benefit of the group, I think this is a good time to reset everybody. So if you take our 2019 results and you look in the prepared materials we sent, there was a, a, a bifurcation between uh, Remain Co. and Contour as we reported it under VF Consolidated. But then you take our implied guidance, the $3.30, $3.35, you look at the growth rates, work that backwards, then the implied base is different. And you're exactly right, Michael. It's that, you know, depending on some of the assumptions you make, uh, you're going to be in that $75 million range. And uh, indeed, that is the disenergy number. So, as you can imagine, we didn't just wake up one day and say we've got disenergies. We we've been talking to you guys about this transaction for, I guess, a year or so, and we've been talking internally for going on two years. So we had great line of sight to what was coming. The majority of these relate to technology and the technology platform, which is largely unique to um, the the contour business. So the way this is going to work is the the for a couple of years, as they stand up their own systems, and they've talked about this publicly, uh, they're on a TSA with us, uh, tra transition services agreement. They're going to, a little more than half of that cost is going to be reimbursed by Contour to us, and uh, that helps mitigate those costs for that two-year period. At the end of that two-year period, we're already underway, and we've been working on plans to get those costs out of our system. So I've made comments in the past about, in response to are there disenergies, I've always said yes, they are. They're not significant or not material to VF. And as we look at it on a net basis, they're not going to be that significant on a go-forward basis in the scheme of VF. And we have line of sight to get out of those costs from a structural standpoint over the next two years. So hopefully okay. that helps. That does. So the I guess the disenergy number that we see in the model today is a, looks a bit overstated in fiscal 20, and we can work through that going forward. Well, I wouldn't say overstated. It's it's it is what it is, and you'll have a similar number. What I'm saying is, against that, to mitigate that cost, you're going to have an offset from the TSAs coming from the contour uh, business. And it's not just technology, but technology comprises the the you know by far the largest piece of that. So what that means is, year on year, you'll have a a, a lesser disenergy as you look into uh, the 2020 guidance, and that's implied in that. If I could just follow up with one on the on the brands, then um, you know Timberland's been described for a while as on the same arc of you know development, similar to what we've seen from North Face in the past few years. But the the one to three percent rev growth year you gave this year doesn't bake in much improvement from recent results. So we've seen interesting ideas like the the pop up on Fifth Avenue. We saw the Champion tie-in over the holiday. We saw the website redesign. Where do you think the disconnect is between you know an expectation for that brand to accelerate um, and, and the guidance? Uh, for this year yeah let me let me start michael so um you know first of all that you probably saw the fourth quarter um showed some strength although we would say if you zoom out a click it really 
the business is showing um, signs of encouragement, but overall the, the trajectory is is essentially where we expected it to be as we as we entered this year. And we would say, you know, indications of improvement, modest improvement, but but fundamentally, uh, the business is is uh, going to modestly improve next year. Remember, in that 2020 guidance, which appears to be about flat, you've got the CASA impact, which I mentioned before. Also, one of the things going on within Timberland is a focus on improving profitability. You see some of that drag in the outdoor results, and you'll see that improve as we go next year. Some of that's at the cost of top line. For example, some underperforming stores, which are at the end of their lease, are going to be closed. So when you put those two factors together, there's about a point of growth that is hidden in the implied guidance. So again, zooming out a click, I think you should say modest improvement as we're focusing on those fundamentals. That game plan is very similar to the, the North Face plan over the last, uh, you know, looking back several several years. And, and Michael, I'd, I'd pile on just a little bit here. Um, I think we've said the last couple calls, um, you know, we're in that low single digit growth um, place for the Timberland brand. We're a little bit behind where we'd like to be. Um, but the diversification strategy that we've been talking about, it, it's working. You know, we're seeing you know, double-digit growth um, across all regions with our non-classics styles. And as those con you know, continue to grow, um, we will change the weighting independence of the classics business that this brand, uh, this brand has had you know, for such a long you know, part of its history. Uh, we're seeing good growth with our apparel. Um, you also mentioned, you know, how we're elevating the brand and the, and the, the trial that we did on the pop-up on, on Fifth Avenue has informed a new uh, brand prototype uh, that you'll see us to continue to, to roll out, you know, thoughtfully, testing and learning this fall. Um, but, but the team, you know, continues to work on elevating the brand, um, focusing on, on taking that, that brand focus into, into the design and merchandising aspects of the business. We've talked about the addition of Christopher Rayburn um, and elevating you know, um, all elements of design and create creativity. We're just a little bit behind where we'd like to be, but we remain very optimistic um, with where we intend to uh, be at a mid-single-digit growth potential um, in, the, in the out years. Okay. Thanks for all the help, guys. Hey, Michael. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jonathan Comp from Baird. Your line is now live. Yeah, hi. Thank you. I, I just wanted to follow up on the G&A question and just, just maybe to tie in the disenergies as well as the investment piece. But I know a couple of years ago now in the 21 plan, you, you put out a, a goal for 35.5% on the G&A ratio. And just given all the business model changes, which obviously changes the cost structure, I'm wondering where that that target stands today. Yeah, Jonathan. So you know, obviously, all, many of those factors are uh, um, changed because of the exactly what you mentioned—the contour spend, the you know acquisitions and dispositions. So you know, we're for example, we're way ahead on gross margin from what we said, and uh, you know, all so we bought some businesses with lower operating margins and and all those things. I, I, I guess two things I would point you to. Number one. Think of the general algorithm with the gross margin mix driving our uh, ability to invest in the business, and we will continue to uh, see leverage in SG&A and operating margin over time. And the other thing I'd say is I'd point you to this fall. We, we recognize the need to reset um, our long-range plan, and we intend to do that in an investor day uh, that will, that will uh, uh, host this fall. And... Given the new shape of the business, we'll reset all those uh, parameters. But you shouldn't take away from that that that's a big change. You know, the basic model is the same uh, that you've been used to in terms of the growth rates and the, and the general way that this is going to function. Uh, for example, I don't see any change in our gross margin trajectory. We're going to continue to see operating margins expand over time. Uh, we'll, we will see gross margin or uh, SG&A leverage. We just need to reshape that in light of the new business model that we have, and, and that's what this fall will be about. Okay, makes sense. And, and maybe just to follow up, and, and this maybe has been touched on a little bit already, but you know, if I look at the results for fiscal 19, I know you, you beat the original earnings target by a pretty significant amount, almost uh, close to 10%, and that's even with the incremental investments. I'm just wondering, 
kind of the pace of incremental investment to the extent that you show upside, either the sales or the gross margin, is the rate of strategic reinvestment the same as what it was uh, sitting here a year ago, or, or how should we think about that? Yeah, that, that's a hard question to answer because we don't look at it formula from a formulaic standpoint. The, the first thing I want to reiterate: we're gonna we're gonna expand our margins. We're gonna deliver our commitment to shareholders, and we're that is that is a firm commitment. You know, Steve and I are are rock solid on that. Um, and as we look at investments, incremental investments, it's really about um, you know we look at these, we rack and stack them literally, and and we look at. What are those opportunities? What do we think the payback is going to be? Is this going to create a, a true, meaningful uh, impact on the business or create a, a, a point of difference? And that's how we make those decisions. And I, I would just say they're not all perfect. We haven't made 100%, but we've done a pretty good job looking back. And again, I just point to the return on capital of 22% over the last year. We're, we're, we, that gives us confidence, and you look at where we're at on our overall growth trajectory, that gives us confidence that, in general, we're making pretty good decisions and, and, and we'll continue to you know, feed the, the fires that we think are, are burning uh, you know, propelling the, these brands. I'll give you, give you a couple specific examples that, that's implied in our 2020 guidance around demand creation. For example, you know, we brought $1.4 billion uh, uh, dollars of growth in the Vans business over the last two years. And on top of that, we're still growing within their long-range uh, growth plan. So consolidating all those new consumers into the franchise around innovation products like Comfy Cush, we think that's a really good idea. And this is a moment in time uh, where we want to really consolidate that growth. Think about that three-year stack just for a minute. I'm just going to back up. Think about the three-year cumulative growth rate on that business that's that's a that's a pretty high bar and on top of that we continue to grow so where we see opportunities where we think we have a meaningful point of difference like comfy cush which is a brilliant innovation that the vans team brought we're going to invest in that i'd give you another example future light as in, in the in the uh, tns business we think this is a moment in time and and taking advantage of this moment in time uh, we're going to invest uh, around that because we think it's a game changer. We think it's disruptive in the industry. So where we see opportunities like that, we're going to take those advantages. Now, the, I don't know if that same thing is going to be, a, if, if we should do better this year, I don't know if there'll be that type of investment available or not. So I can't say per se what, what we would, whether we would invest or not. It depends on the situation. Okay. Very helpful. And last, if I just could, any, uh, any color on the shaping of margin expansion throughout the year? I know you gave a couple pieces around currency and top line, but just any color on the margin expansion? Thank you. Sure. So, so we talked about 60 bips next year, largely driven by uh, our, our mix. And as you think about the other components, currency is a is a, a tailwind, and you'll see that more in the first half than the second half, just as those, uh, frankly, it's those favorable hedges roll in. Against that, we have some cost pressure, uh, you know, cotton, uh, synthetics, polymers, uh, you know, petrochemical related, and labor and overhead are the, are the areas. So if you see those, those net to a small net positive, and, and then really the, the primary driver we see is, is um, related to the, uh, to the mix. So you'll see a little more gross margin in the first part of the year based on what we see today. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Our next question today is coming from Laurent Vasilescu from Macquarie. Your line is now live. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. You've seen impressive growth in China last year as that market was called out as a key driver for the 2017 Investor Day. Uh, can you dimensionalize what kind of growth we should expect for this fiscal year and what brands should be driving that growth in that market? Yeah, I'll put a number on it. So, um, we're we're in in Asia in general. We're looking at uh, mid-teens, and China would be north of 20. Uh, so we see continuing uh, strength in the in the China business. That's implied in the in the guidance. I don't think we specific. We talked about Asia. We didn't specifically talk about China, but we see the momentum in China, uh, which has been in that plus 20 range, uh, continuing at, at a similar pace for 2020. 
and, and okay. Laurent, the, the brands that will be driving that, you know, are really the brands that we have, you know, present in that marketplace. You know, Vans, the North Face, Timberland, you know, you know, carrying the majority of that of that top line growth. But you know, Kipling, also, you know, a good business um, for us in in the Asia market and specifically China. Okay, very helpful. And then I wanted to follow up on Aaron's questions on Vans. Um, I think um, obviously you gave a lot of detail, but I think you guys called out for um, equal growth at TNF. Um, how should we think about the growth the first half, second half, and then maybe any dimensionalization uh, on uh, growth in wholesale versus retail for Vans overall? Yeah, Laurent, I'll take that one. So in general, the first half will be stronger than the second half in our implied guidance. So again, we're we're thinking about a, a soft landing, and and so you'll see that um, you'll, you'll see that uh, kind of shape um, estimated uh, to to take place over the year, and and that moderation occurs in both um, D to C and uh, and wholesale, but relatively larger um, uh, decline in the in the wholesale business uh, as a percentage. So we're thinking about high single digit from a wholesale standpoint, low team from a D to C standpoint. And I think that was in the prepared materials as well. Thank you very much and best of luck. Yeah, thanks, Laurent. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Alexandra Welvis from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now live. Good morning. Thanks for taking the questions here. Um, first questions on the work business. Um, you're guiding to four to six percent growth um, in that segment. Um, I just wanted to um, step back there and ask about the exposure of that segment now to you know some of the, the the cyclical end markets. I know that that was reduced with the Williamson Dickey acquisition, but I wonder if you could you know share with us the rough breakdown of that segment to end markets, um, and then perhaps help us to kind of pass through the, the growth rates of different brands that are embedded in that expectation. I know you talked about um, the five percent. Uh, sorry, mid-single-digit growth rate expected for the Dickies brand. I wonder if you could share any color on some of the other big brands there, Bulwark, Redcap, and so forth. Yeah, sure. So um, I think part of the question was around, you know, the the, the uh, um, exposure to the cyclicality, um, and so we we've um, we've said about a third of the business, roughly 30 to 40 percent of the business is is exposed to the. Uh, what we would call the, the cyclical parts of the market, like oil and gas, et cetera. And, and we're seeing real resiliency, um, I think I said in my prepared uh, remarks in that category. You know, remember, our, our expectations for uh, the work segment are mid-single digits, and, and we've seen uh, uh, we're, we're right in that zone. In fact, probably at the upper end of that, in Dickey's at constant currency, you know, 5 to 7% really ahead of our acquisition plan and, and at the high end of that growth. Um, you know, the interesting thing, um, we, we believe that the, 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 um, the grounding in work is really important for the work inspired, but where we see larger opportunity, frankly, is, is the, in that maker, maker community, work inspired, and, and Dickies in particular is a great example of that, where we're seeing outsized growth in the Asia market, really in that work-inspired side, you call it lifestyle, whatever term you like, and we're growing, you know, north of 20% over the last uh, year, and we see a similar kind of trajectory as we go forward. Um, that, that, is, uh, that is particularly exciting to us and, and frankly, exceeding our acquisition uh, goals um, from when we bought the, bought the brand. And uh, just real quick, I, I'll pile on. Clearly, Williamson Dickey, Dickey's brand is the is really that front and center you know, large consumer property. But you know, Timberland Pro Business is growing you know nicely in that high single digit rate as well. Um, it plays very well into the you know those core work segments, but also has that opportunity to move beyond and more of that work lifestyle piece. And then Redcap and Bulwark in their respective you know sectors um, doing extremely well. And uh, you know we see opportunities in being able to take our Redcap brand, um, you know, beyond as well, you know, following some of the same playbook we see with Williams and Dickey. Um, so remain very optimistic and, and proud of the portfolio we've assembled and, and the team that's uh, that's driving that business. Yeah, that's, thank as, you. you. Sorry, part of your question was around growth rates on specific brands, and we we haven't said that publicly. I would just say this that you know we um, we see. 
I think our comment was pretty widespread uh, growth, and and you know you can assume that that uh, if we're saying five to seven overall, that the brands that you mentioned would be in that in that range from a growth standpoint. Thank you. Um, my second question was on the active division. So you continue to deliver the very strong growth rates in, in vans, but the implied growth rates of some of the other brands in that um, division um, have been reasonably weak, and I think that's expected going forward. Um, I wonder if you could spend just a moment on you know some of those brands and the trends that you're seeing there, Eastpac, Jansport, and um, you know I think that Napa Fury has been a, been a growth spot there. So you know what's really dragging on that on that on that div division? Yeah. So one one thing uh, that's in the in the uh, guidance is uh, remember we sold Reef and that's not that's not a discontinued operation. It's not material enough. So that really is uh, weighing on the impact of um, of the sec sector, particularly in the first um, first couple quarters, because that business was very spring oriented. So you're comping the the majority of uh, of their business, but if you look, our PAX business, um, you know, is is in the mid to high single digit. You know, a couple callouts are East PAC and our Napa Piri business, which have really put several years in a row of of high uh, single digit growth, even into the double digit, along with uh, really nice profitability growth. And we don't talk much about these brands, but uh, they are they are real jewels, and and uh, and they continue to do well. They're not that large in the scheme of VF, but they they grow and they're profitable, and we think that you know the, these are exciting brands that you're going to hear more about in the future. Yeah, and to that point, I mean these these are brands where we're able to really test and learn you know many of our new brand building ideas and things that we're doing around creative you know vision work, and uh, that that growth that's got mentioned for both Napa and Eastpac are really a result of greater clarity of what these brands stand for, um, a rationalization of the styles and the elevation of big stories, and focusing on, on a few markets and, and really driving um, you know, strong outsized growth. So think of these as, as certainly smaller but you know, good growth drivers, but they're, but they're important parts of our portfolio for um, our ability to learn, test, and scale um, and you know, they're certainly receiving the benefit uh, themselves as they do that work. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Yeah. Our next question today is coming from Matthew Boss from J.P. Morgan. Your line is now live. Thanks, and congrats on a nice quarter. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. So at the North Face, can you walk through the drivers of the brand's accelerated growth profile over the past year? And aside from potential conservatism or maybe tougher comparisons, anything structural behind the moderation to 7 to 9% constant currency growth next year versus double digits this year? I'll just jump in on the numbers. I, I don't think you should look at this as a deceleration of, of the North Face. <laughs> you stole my starting point. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, is it decelerating? I, I'm not sure. Um, I think this brand is, uh, has put a lot of work in over the last couple of years, you know, starting first with the management team, cleaning up the marketplace. And, and amidst all that, you know, standing up a product creation team that's innovating, you know, some very, very strong products. You know, the, and the growth that we're seeing is really broad-based across each region. You know, the North America's return to growth, and it's across each one of their – of their elements of the business, from their core mountain business to their mountain lifestyle business and the urban exploration. Uh, we're really seeing you know, solid growth from each one of those uh, particular uh, consumer expressions of the brand. And as we see this going forward, you know, the innovations you know, that are beginning with FutureLight, really being able to separate this brand from its peer group. Um, and we, we talk a lot about you know, returning to that rightful um, leadership position, not only from a product standpoint, but from the things that this brand is doing from a positioning, brand experience, and, uh, and a purpose-led aspect. Um, you know, we're, we're really you know, confident and proud of where we stand, and you know, high single digit at this time of year um, is, a, is, a, is a strong outlook. Great. And then just a, uh, maybe just a follow-up to put together some of your comments regarding the five-year targets outlined at the 17 Investor Day. I guess, is it fair to say that there's no, no major changes to the 16% EBIT margin target 
despite maybe some different gross margin and SG&A paths to get there, given the portfolio reshaping? Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, I, I would say that our uh, aspiration to 16% is unchanged, but the fact remains when you take pieces out and put other pieces in, you've reset the base. So that margin expansion is there. I think we're talking about horizon, right? And that's why this fall investor day, I think, is is really important just to reset all the pieces. For example, the contour business had a you know, higher uh, operating margin, and you take that out, that changes the math, and, and, and. So there's many examples like that. The most important point I would bring you back to is that the basic algorithm is the same with that gross margin expansion and operating margin expansion. So we'll, we'll clean that up for you this fall. In the meantime, you know, the takeaway is it, it's, it's not really, it's not changed. Great. Best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jay Soul from UBS. Your line is now live. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, my first question is on some of the other smaller, less talked about brands in the portfolio, like Ultra and Icebreaker. Maybe, Steve, you could just help us understand, like, what's been the development in those brands since you acquired them? Great. Sure. No, great. Um, you know, we don't talk enough about them. You know, Icebreaker being our first purpose-led acquisition um, had a really strong year um, amidst being integrated into VF and uh, having to adapt to a lot of our processes and uh, and fitting their culture inside ours, you know, delivered a strong, you know, low double-digit growth rate last year and, uh, you know, continues to, you know, innovate, you know, with Merino as their core core product um, in that apparel category. And, uh, you know, we continue to be very bullish. You'll see some exciting, you know, things coming from the brand this year as we uh, look to continue to evolve, you know, their retail representation of this brand um, as, a, as a really strong, um, you know, brand building component. You know, in Ultra, um, you know, we've, um, they've been part of our, our Denver relocation, and uh, we've, uh, they've, they've come through that extremely well. Um, they, too, have had to endure integration. Um, as a small brand, that's not always the easiest thing to do, and we have great admiration for our team um, and being able to work through that with us. Um, they're now solidly in Denver. We've got a new new leader there, and um, you know, continues to connect extremely well with that core um, specialty running, trail running uh, set of retailers, and uh, innovating some very interesting new products that will keep them at the forefront um, of that, that that core you know running consumer. Got it. And then maybe Scott, if I can ask you about that 75 million as it's introduced as you reabsorb that overhead from Contour, um, as you talk about finding ways to um, you know, re-leverage that over the coming years. I mean, you touched on it. Can you give us a little bit more detail about how you do that and how much of that 75 maybe you can um, eliminate by just becoming more efficient operationally? Sure. Well, uh, when we buy something, that'll take care of it, first of all. That's my flip answer. But um, the the um, uh, as I mentioned, the largest component of that relates to technology. And and without going too deep into it, the, the technology platform that the contour business operates on is fairly unique to the contour business. And so effectively what will happen at the end of this period is all of that cost and the contracts and the, the uh, uh, maintenance of that um, system will come out of, the, come out of our uh, company, right? It will come out of our cost center. So it truly, you know, there is line of sight to, to eliminate that cost. Of course, we have other initiatives going on all the time in terms of uh, looking at being more lean as an organization. But you know, when you when you look at the net impact of this and all of the oper, you know, all of the activities that we have and the growth that we have, we grow into this pretty quickly. It's a relatively small number in the size of overall, uh, you know, the the VF model, and and we'll grow into it pretty quickly. Got it. Great. Thanks so much. You know, I, I'm just going to add on, as I know we're ending to the getting to the end of the call, there's some other modeling questions that didn't come up that um, I want to just get on the on the record because I think it will help it'll help Joe in the follow up so if nothing else. But as our implied guidance, if you go below the operating line and get to the EPS, any other income, you'll see there are benefits. and that, is really in two areas. Uh, there's about 70 plus million dollars, call it 75 million dollars of implied benefit there. Um, the biggest chunk of that is going to be from interest as as we 
get the proceeds from Contour. We pay down debt. Our average debt load, obviously, year on year is going to be less, and you're going to see that benefit. The other is, don't forget, we uh, froze our pension. So you'll see pension benefits um, also uh, showing up in that line. And that's a piece that we haven't talked about this morning, but you'll need that as you as you model um, the guidance that we have. The other just general comment I would say, remember, we've been working on this for a couple years. And a word I would ask you to, to take away from this call is optionality. And we've talked a lot about investments. We've talked about SG&A. We've talked about some of these other initiatives. We obviously saw these coming. We know that we have line of sight to deliver 17 to 19% operating income and have the ability on top of that to invest back in those uh, areas that we think have been paying off. Remember, 22% return on capital over the last year. So we, we could deliver more earnings. That's absolutely an option from, uh, from a standpoint uh, you know, from a, from an earnings standpoint, but we believe these investments are key to our uh, the reason that we're that we're winning and our brands are winning, and and we're going to continue doing that where it makes sense. Thank you. That does conclude our question and answer session. I'd like to turn the floor back over to management at this time. Great. I'd just like to thank everybody for joining us on uh, on this call. Um, you know, we have just finished um, an exceptional year, a year of you know, significant transformation. Uh, where we find ourselves going into fiscal 20 is in a very strong you know, position. We're a we're a leaner, you know, more focused version of ourselves. And uh, I think what you'll see is uh, you know just continued uh, strong performance um, as we focus on our purpose-led, performance-driven, you know, value-creating. Uh, operating model. So thank you, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you here in a, in a not too many week, you know, weeks as we finish up our first quarter. Thank you. That does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect your line at this time and have a wonderful day. We thank you for your participation today.